Good Tuesday morning, everyone. Welcome to the BallQuest.com podcast presented by Blue Water Climate Control. Be sure and check out our friends at Blue Water Climate Control, either on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate. Check them out on their website at BlueWaterClimateControl.com, or you can give Jeremy and his staff a call at 865-299-2290, and they will take care of you for all of your HVAC needs, heating and air, whatever it is. They will take care of you as we head into the winter months. Make sure that heating unit's got its tune-up and everything you need. Give those guys a call and get you ready for the winter. That's Blue Water Climate Control. With Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Hope everyone's having a good Tuesday, guys. It appears that Tennessee and Auburn is going to be on for this weekend. We've already seen one cancellation with Ole Miss and uh, Texas A&M not being able to play, which interesting dilemma for CBS because that was the CBS 330 game they have lost they lost last week's game which was supposed to be Alabama LSU after Masters coverage so back-to-back weeks that CBS loses a game doesn't appear the SEC is moving a game to CBS as of yet now they could do that certainly they could move Kentucky and Alabama from four o'clock to 330 if they wanted to or maybe CBS Rob just gets a refund from the SEC because they didn't honor uh, part of this TV contract and part of this commitment that they're getting ready to get out of anyway. But um, an interesting kind of an interesting side note to uh, the SEC struggles to get to the finish line. But we think that Tennessee and Auburn are going to play at this point. Tennessee's coming off an open date. They made move, made news in a way that you didn't want to make news over the weekend off the field. Um, what do you think this football team is, Rob? We'll start with you. What do you think they are heading into Auburn? I mean, I'm not like on the – they've quit wagon and all that. And that's because of, you know, how they you know, played the first half at Arkansas. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was ugly in the second half coming off a of bye week, they played two really solid quarters. And I don't I mean, I'm not one of these people. Like I know some fans are of that opinion, but um, I mean, I just think they're not very good. I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, going back to the preseason, all the, you know, missed time with COVID, uh, you know, not getting any kind of consistent quarterback play. I just think that it's – I think they have no confidence more so than they've quit. I agree. I, I, I agree with, with, with Rob on that. I don't think they quit. Otherwise, you would have seen – like you've seen across college football, and it's a point you've made numerous times, Brent. Nobody on this team's opted out. Like, you, you continually see that, whether it's at Penn State. And I know Will just got fired at South Carolina. But J.C. Horn opts out. I think they're probably going to have a few more of those over there. Because um, once one does it, it's kind of a copycat type deal. I, I think the no confidence thing is is a, a great way to look at it. You know, how much confidence does the defense have when they continue to give up the same type plays? How much confidence does the offense have knowing that the offense is called in a certain way that, you know, doesn't exactly exude that your uh, coaches have a ton of confidence in you? So I think the lack of confidence angle that Rob just brought up is a uh, really good way to look at it. So, I mean, how do you get – how do you get confidence with how do you get these guys to have some confidence and B how, how much would, if you're Jeremy Pruitt and if you're Philip Fulmer and your Tennessee fans and everybody, uh, are you worried about this team being distracted by all of the talk that's out there? But, you know, cause it look, if they're on social media, they see, you know, they, they talk to their friends and their family and everything that they know that the conversations and they know the topics about Tennessee aren't glowing at this point. So, how distracted do you think this team is? One and and B. How do you think you get they get their confidence back? I don't think you can. I don't think any of us can say, um, you know, 
that these guys are distracted because I don't think any of us know. But I do know that, you know, to me, to get confidence back, Brent, you got to make football fun again. You got to do some things that the, the, the players get excited about. And, you know, rolling out there and, you know, running the offense they've been running. And I know I sound like a broken record hammering the lack of creativity on offense. But, I mean, like, would you be excited if you were a kid playing with this offense? Maybe the offensive linemen get excited because, you know, they're kind of getting to maul people. But, I mean, like, if you're a receiver, if you're a quarterback, heck, man, if, even if you're a running back, I mean, how, how excited are you getting going into a game where you know, okay, we're going to call the game in such a way that the defense can kind of zero in on you. And once they make adjustments, Tennessee didn't really adjust back. I mean, Arkansas flipped the front, and Tennessee never did anything to adjust off of it. I mean, the, the numbers are, are hideous. I mean, they're next to they're, what, 12th in the league in scoring, 13th in total offense, 13th ahead of only Kennucky in, in passing yardage. Which and is I mean, basically the, the equivalent of being dead last. Yes. I mean, Kentucky's not trying to throw the football. And, I, I mean, I get fans' frustration. I mean, you made a big, splashy offensive coordinator hire. You paid him a lot of money. And, you know, you, you get a fifth-year quarterback – in, in the system for a second year in a row for the first time in his career. And, and you clearly don't trust him. Yeah. I mean, not, not at all. I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and so that beckons the question, do, do you think that this talk about Harrison Bailey that, you know, when Jeremy Pruitt came out and, and I don't know if that was legit talk or if that was, Hey, let's talk about something other than coaches getting a pay cut, not taking a pay cut. And so let's talk up Harrison Bailey here that, that he had a big week, you know, or do you think that that's legit and that Harrison Bailey could legitimately be a factor in, in this game against Auburn, even to the point that maybe they are thinking about making a change in terms of the starting lineup? Well, I think they're very much up in the air on who starts Saturday. You know, Jared's back to practice, but I think, you know, Harrison Bailey did enough last week to give them some thought process that, okay, would there be a huge difference if we started, you know, two versus 15, you know, um, you know, but I, I think as far as Monday, I think you're absolutely right that he was the wizard of Oz saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You know, I mean, that's exactly what that was, um, you know, but I, I do think Harrison's got a shot to play in this football game uh, early, if not start, you know, I think that Tennessee will give him a look. I thought it was interesting, I Rob, I, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. I got a couple of texts after Pruitt's press conference and what, where he talked about, you know, Harrison had a really good week. And, and somebody asked me, like, he practiced three days. Like, what, what, was, the, what was the light switch that flipped? What, what was suddenly now? He had a really good week compared to the previous week or compared to the previous two weeks. What, 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 what suddenly changed? And I said, I don't have any idea. And he threw and he threw the four freshman receivers or the three freshman receivers we haven't seen much of in there for good measure as well. Talking about how you know Jim Jim Chaney had been able to get hands on with them uh, during what turned out to essentially be an open week. But um, I'm almost to the point where I I think we might see a similar situation to what we saw last year, where you you start Bailey and if he struggles, you, you go to JG off the bench. You think JG would take that as a senior? I mean, he, took it, he took it last year, so why not? Well, I mean, but he wasn't – I mean, he knew he was coming back. I mean, he was going to have another year, a chance to go win the job. He also had a broken hand. He's got another year next year. Yeah, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, think, I don't think anybody expects him to be back. I mean, it is a little bit different, and he doesn't have a broken hand. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he would take it or, or if he wouldn't take it this year the way he took it last year. He was certainly – I mean, he was great about it a year ago, but I don't know how he would be. I don't think anybody knows because we haven't 
seen or heard from him in a while. You know, I mean, what, what are, I don't know what are his do. options? Opt, opt out? I mean, is that going to be something that, you know, Tennessee fans lose a lot of sleep over? No, I mean, I don't, well, I mean, I don't think that, I mean, but I just w- would be curious to see how he would handle that or how he would deal with that. Not that it's a big deal either way, but, um, you know, anyway, just, just an interesting, I guess, side note there. If Harrison Bailey starts and plays well, do we think we see uh, parties in the streets? I mean, look, if Tennessee throws an explosive play, there's going to be a party in the street. I don't care if it's a halfback pass with Jimmy Holiday throwing. Are you advocating on for mass round. gatherings? Mass gatherings? I mean, they can go roll Tumor's Corner if they want to. You know, like the parents could leave the field, could leave the stands and go roll Tumor's Corners. I mean, I think Tennessee fans would, would take anything at this point that looked like an explosive play offensively, don't you? I mean, other than, other than a couple of garbage, I mean, not garbage, but a couple of throws in a game that was completely non-competitive against Alabama, this, this offense for four weeks hasn't done anything explosive. As uh, someone who covers this team, Brent, you know, fans can turn off the game. We're there. So we're, we have to watch it. At this point, having to watch it, I'd take, uh, you know, a, a, just a, you know, Pit is a toss play to the right. <laughs> Give me the Jamal stall from 99 Florida and then let's roll. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I think fans just want to see what you said it best, Austin. I think the bigger thing and, and is they want to see some creativity, which gets back to this question. Don't you find it interesting that Jeremy Pruitt is the one talking about chunking the ball down the field and, and, and stretching the field when, I mean, that's to me. That's what Jim Cheney's always been about, and and so it, it feels like that's a bit of a disconnect there as to that's been the mind-boggling part. And, and you know, Chad Withrow asked me about this when I did Midday One Eighty on Monday about like, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's influence on the offense. I don't think Coach Pruitt is saying, "Hey, let's run this vanilla offense." Now, did he come going to the halftime at South Carolina when Tennessee had, had really? kind of run it very much and say, let's run the football and they come out and run it right down their throat that first series. I mean, I think maybe, I think a lot of head coaches do that kind of thing, but I don't think he said, Hey guys, let's, let's run, let's run the middle school offense here. And, uh, and then just try to, you know, stay out of the way. I mean, like they are way less creative than the first two years when, when Jeremy admittedly, you know, tried to shorten games, you know, to, to, to try to, you know, help the defense. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's a bit befuddling to me because you're right. Jim Cheney's MO for years, fan bases have gotten frustrated and pissed off because he got two pass at it. And now all of a sudden, it's like he doesn't know what a forward pass is. I don't and know. He didn't just forget how to call ball plays either. I mean, the first half at Arkansas, coming off of a bye week, when you, you know, you've had two weeks to work on what is a huge problem which is a stagnant offense to roll out there and, and throw anything yes they had success running the football I'm not I mean I don't dispute that but to throw it eight times in the first half that that just you know didn't didn't reek of, of you know really a staff really looking for answers no I mean it you know it it was certainly peculiar I mean they did run it with some success there's no doubt about that but um, there was again that, nothing, no real wrinkles or nothing that jumped out at you in terms of any kind of creativity. Now they tried to run a little more true RPO uh, with Jared. And I don't think he executed some of that stuff to the 
to the liking, to the way that they wanted it to be done. Um, but, but other than that, there was nothing that said, wow, boy, they really tweaked some stuff while they were in the middle of the open date and, and had the open date. Uh, defensively, is, is this the best matchup for Tennessee defensively because Jeremy Pruitt knows Auburn so well? When you look at potential games they could be playing this week, I mean, is this one of the better matchups for them because of that factor, or do you think that's overblown? I mean, I don't think it's overblown. Go ahead, AP. I was going to say, I don't think it's overblown either, Rob. I don't know what you – but you know, obviously there's been this notion that Chad Morris has a little more input on the offense than other previous offensive coordinators under Gus have had. Um, if that's the case, then, you know, how well does Jeremy know all? You know, um, you know, if Gus is calling plays, then I think he knows that one pretty well. I go back two years, he was calling – plays out on the sidelines and telling everybody, okay, it's coming to you, Schamberger. We'll be saying that this week, though, is he is no longer with us. And, I mean, I think the quarter, the shaky quarterback play there – I mean, Nick's, Nick's is to, – to quote a GQism, he's feaster, he's feaster phantom out there. I mean, he can obviously make some throws, but really inconsistent. And um, – but, golly, I mean, Tennessee has been so inconsistent themselves in the secondary. It's, it's hard to really say you love that matchup. And I, and I think AP does make a good point about the Chad Morris angle. I mean, Jeremy has faced him in, an, in, in the national title game, but not quite the um, – I would say not the feel that he has for – I mean, how, how much offseason tape do you think he watched of, of Malzahn and Auburn when he, he was at Alabama? I mean, I would say – thousands of hours yeah i mean clearly that was one of the teams that i think saban when he was an analyst or whatever said figure this mess out you know when gus brought the high the high tempo stuff there you know he, he said figure this thing out he's certainly gone against i mean when you when you look at him i mean if i'm not if i'm not mistaken he coached against malzon when he was at florida state in a national title game is that right do i have my ears right he would have been the oc right well, didn't yes. Florida State play Auburn in the national title game? Yes. When Jeremy was the defensive coordinator, right? Yes. Okay, so he went. So he's gone against Gus essentially every year. He's been a for, coach. He's been a seven or eight years. Because yeah. when he was at Alabama, they played him every year. He's at Georgia, they play him as a rivalry. I mean, last year was probably the first year he didn't play Gus in in a season when he was a Power yeah. Five football coach. So I would think he would know he does know his tendencies better than anybody else because A, he's studied him a bunch, and B, he's gone against him every year more than anybody else that they play that he's played or, or gone against um, in his coaching career. So we'll, we'll see if that gives you know that much help. Uh, obviously, Schemberger's out. Theo Jackson, Austin, you think that's where they go at the star? Yeah, I think that's where they'll start. Now, I don't think that's where they'll finish. Uh, again, I. They've got to play some of these young guys. I just think athletically they they offer you much more than, you know, what some of those older guys do. But they have a tendency to lean on the vets at least early in the games and then go to the younger guys when the game's out of hand. Um, you know, I, I did think it, find it interesting Monday when he was talking about, you know, some playing some of these younger kids that he, you know, he talked about Tamirion McDonald calling the defense. You know, I mean, you didn't think about it. I mean, like <laughs> calling the back end of the defense. He's only been back a month. You know, I mean, like from from that offseason surgery. I, that, clearly, that kid's doing something right because he's either learned to practice or, or something because none of the rest of these guys can get on the field. But, you know, he continues to get talked about. And, again, 
had no offseason conditioning or training, yet he's found his way onto the field in, in the third and fourth quarter for the last three or four weeks. Rob, is it easier to play young players now as opposed to maybe two weeks ago when you're going to Arkansas in a game that's winnable? You think you can sort of control the clock and maybe manage that game and, and win, the, win a bit of a low-scoring affair where now you're going on the road, you're an underdog, you're going to be an underdog, heavy underdog at home against Florida, you're going to be an underdog against Texas A&M. Um, and and you know, then there's Vanderbilt in there, but you're lost four straight. Does it feel like, you know, once they got – once the Arkansas game was a loss that it makes it easier to play young players now to take those chances? I mean, to me it certainly is, but I don't get the impression that, that Coach Pruitt necessarily thinks that way. You know, I I could be wrong, but, yeah, for me the, the risk-reward of building your program – getting these guys some really valuable reps outweighs, you know, trotting out some older kids that, you know, Frank, I mean, I, I don't think you'd be a great chance to win, but maybe you keep it closer. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see. we got plenty more to talk about with Tennessee and Auburn coming up uh, throughout the week. And certainly there's plenty of chatter and going to be plenty of talk uh, regarding Tennessee and this game. And certainly we're, Jeremy Pruitt's at and, and all the rumors and speculation that people are going to have out there Qu quickly thought on, on South Carolina. If you're South Carolina, I mean, their hot board that uh, the South Carolina rival site put out had Jamie Chadwell on it, had Will Healy on it, had Shane Beamer on it. Um, Steve Sarkeesian, Hugh Freeze on it. What, what do you, what do you, what do you think South Carolina, what's, what do you think is likely for South Carolina? What in terms of direction, what level, maybe not who are they going to hire, but, Kind of where do you think that search ends up? Kind of I what think ballpark? Chadwell, Healy, Billy Napier, any of those guys, I just have a tough time seeing them going out and paying a lot for Sarkeesian and paying a lot for Hugh Freeze when they've had to, to they, they've made the, the effort to, to pony up. Now, you know, we'll see, but I, I think that they likely end up with, I think Jamie Chadwell is where, I mean, he's kind of been in that little area of the country now several years, whether it be at Georgia Southern. Then in Charleston, or sorry, not Charleston, but Myrtle Beach over in Coastal Carolina. Um, and then, you know, to me, natural progression is, is, is South Carolina. One thing me and Hubbard talked about before the pod, I, how long, you know, how safe is Ray Tanner? How long is he going to make it? I mean, I think that kind of limits your, your pool a little bit too. An established coach or somebody who feels like he's on the cusp of, of getting a Power 5 job, that may be an obstacle. Yeah, I mean, I would. I think a guy would be selective, wanting to know, hey, am I going to go into a situation where, you know, I don't know who my boss is going to be in a year, you know, and, and how big of a deal could that be for somebody? Um, I think that could affect their, their candidate pool, certainly moving forward. And, and I think that could be the situation anywhere if you've got what appears to be a, an outgoing, um, you know, an, out, an outgoing guy um, at, at the AD position. I, I think that's always a pause for concern. Um, bigger shock to you, Penn State or, or Michigan? We'll take Tennessee out of the equation because I don't Penn think anybody State. thought Tennessee would be here. But Penn State or Michigan, the bigger Penn, surprise. Penn State. Michi okay. Michigan's kind of been having these – they've not been as bad as Tennessee because they the Big Ten's not as, as deep as the SEC. Um, but they've been running parallel courses to, to that for a while. I, I'm, I'm shocked that Penn State's off to the terrible start. I, I would say just for this year – Penn State, for sure, based off recent success. Yeah. But I'm shocked, you know, taking the long view that, Mich that this Michigan program is where it's at under Harbo 
Harbaugh after he's been there for this length of time. I would have never have thought that. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, I thought he was a really good coach of the pros, but one at, I mean, one at Stanford, a place that's you know, one of the toughest jobs in the country. Uh, he seemed like a sure bet when they hired him. I mean, yeah, I mean, that that just goes to show you, you know, throwing money at it isn't always the answer. Yeah, yeah. that's certainly yeah. for sure. What's that, AP? I was going to say, when you dress like Jake from State Farm with a Michigan shirt on with his khakis all the time. Hey, don't be making fun of khakis, man. Um, Rob, let's talk a little hoops right quick. What, what do you think is going to happen here? We've got the NCAAs come out and said, um, you know, they're going to try to play the NCAA tournament in one venue, you know, not going to bounce around the country, going to do everything in one site. What, what's the realistic expectations this thing gets off the ground on time? And, and what do you think that the first, first month of the season is going to look like for college basketball? I mean, I think it's going to be easier for college basketball because all the students are going to be gone from campus all, you know, all over the country. So I think that gives them a big, big leg up. In, in containing things. Um, golly, Tennessee, just about everybody's had it already. So, I mean, they should be good to go for, for the next three months or, or you know, whatever the, the science says. And um, so, but I, I mean, I think we'll probably see, you know, delays, postponements. I mean, I'd say, non, you know, if, if a non-conference game's canceled, that one's probably off the books. You're not going to make that up. Um, I personally and talking to some people today, I'm a little surprised that they didn't just start January one and push thing, you know, play play this thing back into April or May. But that's obviously not the case. As far as the NCAA tournament site, I think that I mean, I I, I hate that that's the way it's going to be. But if you're not going to have fans in the stands anyway, I, I think that's a good move. I, I totally get the logic. And um, Indianapolis, I mean, just I would imagine that you stick, you know, three or four courts in Lucas Oil. You can play at the Pacers, Pacers facility. You can play at Butler. I mean, I think that's a pretty sound plan. I mean, I'm, some of the smaller, you know, play-in games or something, maybe you even do it in a high school gym. But uh, I, logistically, I think they can pull that off. I, I don't have a problem with that. I think, that's, I think that's probably a smart move. Would you think that it would be potential that they would move move it back a little bit and give a break, give a week long or 10 day break between conference tournaments and the start of the NCAA tournament to bubble. I totally, I totally think that you could see that happen because I mean, I, I, I to think create a bubble. A, yeah. And I think there's a good chance that, that you're going to need a buffer. If you're going to finish these conference seasons, I mean, to think that there won't be a postponement here or there and, you know, in a, in a, two or you know two and a half month season where you're playing two games a week i mean i think that's that's very optimistic across the country all right quickly on this tennessee team everybody's buying stock in them right now i mean they're they're the they're the darlings for two reasons one they're bringing talent rick barnes has praised them and the football team is not winning so everybody's turning their attention there you're what do you think what do you think will be the biggest cause for concern that fans have a couple of weeks into this thing as they try to, as they try to figure out and get every, all the parts moving in the right direction. What, what, uh, what do you think they're going to be a little bit like, huh? Uh, I mean, how good are Keon and Jaden out of the gate? I mean, they've hyped, they've been hyped. I've been guilty of certainly driving that train a little bit just based off, you know, people that I'm talking to and what they've seen and what they're telling me. And, um, you know, if Tennessee's going to beat Gonzaga, those, those guys are going to have to be good players, but, I, I think fortunately, and I've said this before, I love the mix of veterans on this team. Keon, neither Keon nor Jaden has to be the leader of this team. They don't have to lead them in scoring. You got a couple of 
all SEC caliber seniors and, and Fulkerson and Ponds that take a lot of the pressure off. You got experienced guards, limited experience, but Santiago and Josiah played all the minutes they could stand last year and, and got better for that. I think if there's a concern, somebody asked in the chat tonight, what's the outside shooting going to be like? I mean, I don't think they're going to be as prolific as Admiral and Jordan Bowden and Lamonte Turner and that group were, you know, they were really explosive, but I think Santiago's a really good shooter. Been told that Victor Bailey has been really heating, heating it up the past couple of weeks in practice from, from outside the yard. Jaden and Keon are competent shooters. They're not pure shooters, but they can knock down threes. And, you know, are, will they be able to handle elite size? Now, you're not going to see elite size every night in college basketball anymore. But when they do run up against it, can they handle it? All right. Last thing as we get out the door here for both of you guys, we didn't talk about this when it came out. Um, now you've had a couple of week or a week and a half or so to digest it. And that's the fact that the dead period has been extended to April. What, 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 I mean, Austin, does that mean from a football standpoint, we're just not going to see much movement this winter at all. Everybody's going to sign early. A lot of people are just going to stick with what they are, what they have, unless a coach goes in and says, Hey, you don't have a spot and they cut them. Yeah, I think so. I don't think you'll see a whole lot of movement um, unless you see coaching change or the coaches cut guys. I, I, I don't think you'll see a whole lot of change. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it depends on – this is, again, we're not making this political, but the, the data on these two vaccines, you know, um, you know, if, if those were to get into mass production and, and, you know, they're cleared, you know, I think that could get changed and bumped up uh, and obviously would help, you know, you know, the college basketball season. But, you know, until then, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're very much kind of in standstill mode. Um, you know, guys – you know, may still take a few visits while there's games going on because you can still do that. But then I think it kind of gets uh, slowly shut down a lot as far as 2022s or 2021s. Do you think it's harder for a coach to cut a kid knowing that he's not going to have many options out there because he can't go take a visit, a coach can't come see them? Do you take more bad publicity if you cut a kid <laughs> but, but, but because the kid's not going to have many options out there? I, I don't I, – I mean, I don't think that – impacts them i mean like you credit one of your one of your truest sayings as, as a coach the most valuable thing you have are, are those 25 scholarships and if you're to the point where you you think you can get a better player i think you take them yes i agree with that notion i mean i do think you potentially could run into um some bad publicity cutting sure. a kid during a pandemic when kids aren't allowed to take visits but you know most of these schools are pretty good about you know helping that kid find a new football home going to be interesting going to be a lot of interesting things over the next few weeks on the football front the basketball front as things get started up and certainly what uh, could happen with this recruiting class we're going to cover it all for you we're going to talk about it on the tuesday podcast the mailbag podcast in the chat and daily on the general's quarters that's going to do it for this edition of the tuesday podcast brought to you by our good friends at blue water climate control be sure and check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com for austin price and rob lewis i'm brent hubs thanks for joining us have a great rest of your tuesday everybody